Let me ask you a question this morning, friends. Thank you, Jan. I appreciate that. Let me ask you a question. If God came to you in your sleep tonight and said he was going to grant you one request, anything you wanted, what would you ask of him? Maybe a a better job, uh, a happier marriage, maybe a a million dollars. You know, it's interesting to think about how we would handle that kind of situation. And this was the reality that a young king named Solomon found himself in as a young man ruling over the nation of Israel. In the book of 1 Kings, chapters 3 and 4, we find Solomon in bed one evening and God appears to him in his sleep. And God says to Solomon, Solomon, I am going to grant you one request. Anything you ask of me, Solomon. And Solomon asked the Lord. He said, Lord, give me wisdom so that I can rule faithfully. Well, the Lord was so pleased with Solomon's request that God granted him wisdom, a greater wisdom than anyone on earth had ever had before. But along with that wisdom, God blessed him with incredible wealth and prosperity. Solomon became the greatest king in all of history, known around the world for his great wisdom and knowledge. People would come from countries all around to seek Solomon's court and to hear his wisdom. He built buildings. He gained wealth. He had all the privileges that one would hope for in this world. And yet, for all of his wisdom, Solomon's life in many ways is a tragic story, a cautionary tale of the error of living in pursuit of joy apart from God. If you go on to read in the book of 1 Kings the the story of Solomon's life, when we come to chapter 11, we find that Solomon had strayed from the Lord. He, He had walked away from following God in obedience, and Solomon had begun to pursue idols of all kinds. Solomon pursued idols of pleasure. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines, He he began to pursue idols of of other nations, foreign gods, and set up places of worship around Israel for these gods. He he began to put his hope in his army and his wealth and, and all of his power and prestige. And Solomon had everything the world says provides joy and meaning and purpose. And yet Solomon came to discover that all of this stuff All of this stuff apart from walking faithfully with the Lord was meaningless. This is the the background to the book of Ecclesiastes that we're going to be studying this fall. The book of Ecclesiastes was written by King Solomon, 900 B.C. roughly. Looking back on a life wasted in pursuit of worldly things. Solomon, after straying from the Lord and pursuing all of the things the world has to offer, all of the things the world says leads to joy and peace and meaning, Solomon comes to the end of his life and he looks back and he says it is all vanity. 
In fact, the theme of the book of Ecclesiastes that we're going to see this fall over and over, over 30 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to find this word vanity. Solomon says it's all vanity. The, the word in Hebrew is habel. Let's say that together. Habel. And habel means vanity. A, a puff of breath, a mist, a vapor. Here one second, gone the next. It's all vanity. Some translations translate this word as meaningless. It's like a mist, a vapor. And Solomon says all things in this world are vanity. They're passing, they're fleeting, they're, they're insubstantial. One of the ways that I like to think about the book of Ecclesiastes is almost as if it's the gospel track of the Old Testament. If you've ever seen a gospel tract, oftentimes the gospel tracts that people will hand out will have a message talking about our problem as human beings. And our primary problem is our sin, our rebellion against God, and how this sin, our rebellion, causes a separation between us and our Creator. And that's the bad news that we face. And then the gospel track goes on to present the good news, how God provided a means for us to be reconciled to him, to be brought back into a right relationship with him. And Solomon is, in a sense, writing for us a gospel track in the Old Testament, highlighting the reality that all of the things the world promises lead to joy really wind up in dead ends. The journey to joy is not found in the pursuits of this world, but the journey to joy, as we're going to see Solomon declare in our series this fall, true joy is found walking faithfully in a relationship with God. He had tried all the world had to offer, and his conclusion was it is all vanity, a mist, a puff of breath, here one moment, gone the next. Well, I want to read for us today the opening chapter of Ecclesiastes. And here in our opening chapter, Solomon is going to summarize for us really the, the whole course of the book. The, the pursuits of the things of this world leading to the conclusion that it's all vanity. If you would, follow along with me. The, the words will be on the screens behind me. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. We're going to be using that translation this fall in our series in Ecclesiastes, the ESV. Ecclesiastes 1, verses 1 through 18. Let me read this for us. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around in the north. Around and around the wind goes. On its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things. 
nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Wow, what a, what a joyful, uplifting book to start the fallout with. But as I said a moment ago, friends, Solomon pursued all this world had to offer. And he came to the very real and stark conclusion that it's all vanity. You see, in our opening chapter here, Solomon's musings force us to wrestle with three troubling questions about life under the sun. Life in this present age, in this present world. And, and these three troubling questions I want to highlight for us this morning are, are, are not spoken specifically but Solomon, but are inferred or implied from the text. The, the first of these troubling questions we discover here in our passage is, is, is what's the purpose then? What's the purpose of life? You know, people search for many things to answer that question. People look to many things to answer the question, what is the purpose of life? Solomon searched out an answer to that question. Solomon began, we see in our passage this morning, looking to the idea that profit might be the answer. Maybe, maybe profit is the purpose of life. Work hard, make a lot of money, accumulate a bunch of stuff. Maybe that's what leads to joy. And what did Solomon have to say about this? In verse 3, Solomon says, What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? My grandpa Krauss, my mom's father, was once a very well-known businessman in northeast Wisconsin. He owned a company called Kraus Lumber and Hardware. He, he was a contractor. He built schools. He built hospitals. He built churches all over northeast Wisconsin, north of Green Bay. In fact, in the middle part of the 20th century, everybody in that region of Wisconsin would have known my grandfather's name. A few years ago, I had a chance to go by his business in Coleman, Wisconsin, off of Highway 41. And this is the storefront where my grandpa's business was based. Three acres, a large hardware store. It used to say Kraus Hardware and Lumber in big red letters against the front facade. It used to have four gas pumps out there in the parking lot. It was the hub of the community. Everybody would go there to shop, to get their gas, to, to hear the latest happenings in town. Large lumber bins in the backyard, trucks, cement mixers, cranes, all kinds of stuff. Everybody knew my grandpa. His business was well known. He did well in business. But now today, if you drive into Coleman, 
Cross Lumber has turned into a second-rate antique store. The treasure tree. That's not even working anymore. That's up for sale. The words Kraus are off the facade of the building. The gas pumps have been removed. The lumber bins are empty. All of the trucks, all of the equipment are gone. Once a thriving business, the hub of the town, and now gone and forgotten. Vanity, a mist, a vapor, here one day, gone the next. Friends, what is the purpose of all of our toil and hard work under the sun? It's all vanity. The sad reality for many people in our world today is, is they recognize this reality. They recognize that all of our labors are ultimately purposeless. And so many people simply embrace the futility of their labors. I remember as a young man in high school and college, I worked at a grocery store over in my hometown of Eden Prairie for about 10 years. Started bagging groceries, worked my way up to assistant manager over the years. But it was very interesting a lot of the people who worked in that grocery store considered themselves lifers there in the grocery business. And if you would ask them week to week, their whole purpose in life was to, to work the week to get their paycheck so that they could go out and party Friday and Saturday. To drown themselves in, in a drunken stupor. To, to mask over the meaninglessness of their existence. The repetition, the vanity, what does it matter? Now some people would say, well, Jason, those are, those are blue-collar guys. I mean, of course, they don't have any great purpose in their work. But it's very interesting, friends. Even the wealthiest among us, finding meaning in their work, they too recognize it's all vanity. Two weeks ago, my family was on vacation in Door County, Wisconsin. If you go down to Sister Bay, you can visit the Sister Bay Marina filled with million-dollar yachts. I was talking to one of the harbor workers there at the, at the marina about one of the large yachts, a $2 million yacht from Chicago. I asked him, who owns that yacht? He says, some big executive from Chicago. He comes up every weekend with a group of friends, and they party, and they drink wild parties every weekend, drinking away the futility of their existence. It's all vanity. It doesn't matter if you're blue collar or white collar. It's all vanity, numbing themselves. So if profit's not the answer, if hard work is not the answer, if accumulating a lot of stuff is not the answer, what's the answer? Solomon then turns to, to progress. Maybe, maybe it's putting our hope in the next generation. Maybe our hope is about investing in the next generation and trying to improve the next generation so that they can make this world a better place. And many people in our world today do just that. They hope and they trust in the, the advancement of the next generation. The great singer Whitney Houston in her hit song, The Greatest Love of All, she's saying, I believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. And friends, a lot of people in our world today would say that's the purpose of life. Investing in the next generation, investing in our children to make this world a better place. Friends, do you know that the United States spends over $700 billion a year on public education? Investing in our children. 
$13,000 a year for each one of you kids here in public schools. $13,000 a year. And friends, what has our investment gotten us? Is our society any better today than it was 50 years ago? We still have a world plagued with poverty. We still see major cities around the country wrestling with homelessness. We still wrestle as a culture with racism and political strife. All of the problems that have always been are still with us today. As Solomon says in verse 4, a generation goes and a generation comes. And nothing, nothing ever changes. As that cultural philosopher Woody Allen once put it, more than any other time in history, mankind faces a crossroads. One path leads to despair and utter hopelessness. The other to total extinction. Let us pray we have the wisdom to choose correctly. <laughs> generations come, generations go. And yet nothing ever changes. Vanity, friends. To prove his point about the futility of progress as a basis of hope, Solomon next points us to, to nature. Now, now, usually we look to nature as a means of encouragement, a, a place where we can restore our joy and nourish our soul. I remember again in Door County two weeks ago, sitting on the shore of Lake Michigan, one of my favorite places in the world, watching my kids swim, watching the waves lap up, and, and it was nourishing to my soul. But Solomon says, look at even in nature, we see the vanity of our existence. He goes on in verse 5, he says, The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. Now friends, please understand Solomon's point here. If the sun and the wind and the streams of the world have nothing to show for all their efforts, what hope do any of us have? What difference will any of our lives make? What could any of us ever gain from all of our toils under the sun? It's no wonder Solomon says in verse 8, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. In other words, there are no words to express the full troubles of life in this world. Life under the sun. It's all vanity. It's all weariness. Ecclesiastes has been the inspiration for a lot of great art over the years. For example, how many of you remember Bill Murray's movie Groundhog Day? Groundhog Day. The movie Groundhog Day is about a news reporter, Bill Murray, named Phil Connors. He travels to Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania to do a story on Groundhog Day. But he ends up becoming cursed and living over Groundhog Day repeatedly over and over again. He's trapped in the same day. Every day he wakes up, he sees the same people, goes through the same experiences. Everything's the same. Nothing ever changes. And he tries to escape the reality of this never-ending day that he's trapped in. And finally, after multiple attempts of trying to liberate himself from this ongoing cycle over and over and over again of repeating the same day, finally, in his frustration, he sits down at the local bowling alley bar and he asks a couple guys sitting there, 
What would you do if you were stuck in one place and every day was the same and nothing you did really mattered? One of the drunken men stares into his mug of beer and he says, yep, that about sums it up for me. (laughs) Friends, this is the message of Solomon. All is vanity. We strive and we look for purpose and we look for meaning and we try to find meaning in in advancement and in progress and in profit and in all these things at the end of the day. It's all meaningless. It's all vanity. This leads us to the second question our passage forces us to wrestle with. What's the point? Well, what's the point? Let's read verses 9 and 10. Solomon goes on, he says, The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Friends, maybe novelty and new experiences are the point. Let me ask you a question. Solomon says, The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Friends, how many of you have got an iPhone this morning? How many pictures do you have on your iPhone? Probably thousands. Is it ever enough? No. How many songs do you have on your iPhone? Hundreds, thousands maybe. Is it ever enough? You need more. How many of you have ever had to go buy a new iPhone because you ran out of storage for all your songs and your pictures? Come on, raise your hand. You know you're out there. Solomon says the eye is not satisfied with seeing or the ear filled with hearing. It's never enough. He goes on, what has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be. So Solomon pursues novelty and new experiences, looking for meaning and purpose and and, and, and new entertainments, new pleasures, new joys. One one of the things I've enjoyed this past summer here is being a part of our men's golf league. Tomorrow night, Monday night, we're having the final tournament of the year. I, I was thinking about our men's golf league recently and reminded of how just three years ago, one of our members, Tom Tangwall, hit a hole in one in our men's golf league. Now that's awesome, man. Isn't that cool? But you know, Tom, before you get too excited about that, I I hate to burst your bubble, but that year there were 150,000 people in the United States that hit holes in one. (laughs) It's all vanity. It's been done before. It's been done before. It's going to be done again. My uncle Peter Krause, he's a professional golfer, two weeks ago playing at the Wisconsin Club in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, hit two holes in one in the same round. In the same round. 67 million to one odds of that happening. What's even more incredible, his second hole in one took place on hole 11 and just happened to be the 11th hole in one he's hit in his lifetime. Friends, you'd think that'd be on Sports Center or something. But it's all vanity. It's meaningless. Nobody cares. I mean, the greatest thing he's going to get out of this is being featured in his nephew's sermon on a Sunday morning. <laughs> so, so if novelty and new experiences are all vanity, well, what's the answer? What's the point? Well, maybe it's leaving a name for yourself. 
Maybe it's, it's doing something great in this world so that people remember your name. It was interesting. I came across an article this week in the Daily Telegraph, a British newspaper. A recent survey in Britain found that a fifth of British teenagers believe that Sir Winston Churchill was a fictional character. <laughs> while many think Sherlock Holmes, King Arthur, and Eleanor Rigby were real. Friends, even if you do great things and try to leave a name for yourself, you're still likely to be confused for fictional characters. How many of you recognize this picture on the screen? You know who this is? How about the name John Jacob Astor? Anyone familiar with that name? Few of you. John Jacob Astor, if you would have asked this question of anyone in America 100 years ago, everybody in America would have known who he was. Forbes magazine recently listed him as the fourth wealthiest American of all time. His earnings today would be worth $130 billion, worth more than Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg. He was the wealthiest man in America in his day. It was said in his day that an Astor ship could be found in every sea of the ocean. His company discovered the Oregon Trail, the western route to the Pacific Ocean, four years after Lewis and Clark. He set up Astoria, Oregon, one of the first shipping ports on the west coast. He was the first man to establish international trade with China. He owned half of New York City. And yet today I saw about four heads nod when I asked if you know the name John Jacob Astor. Hardly anyone knows him today. It's all vanity. The third question our passage leads us to ask this morning is, is, where's the promise? Where's the promise? Where can we look to for joy? Where can we look to for hope, for meaning, for purpose? If, if all of this stuff, if, 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 if pleasure and profit and, and investing in the next generation and new experiences, leaving a legacy, if all of this stuff is ultimately vanity, well, where's the promise? And Solomon looks to wisdom. He says maybe wisdom is the answer. Maybe pursuing knowledge is the answer. Let me read verses 12 through 18 again for us. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight. And what is lacking cannot be counted. And what Solomon means there in that proverb in verse 15 is simply this. We can't fix the unfixable. What is crooked can't be made straight. What is lacking cannot be counted. Friends, we can't fix the unfixable. Genesis chapter 3 tells us that we live in a fallen world. A world corrupted by a spiritual disease called sin. It, it infects everything and everyone in our creation. Paul in Romans 8 talks about this creation being subjected to futility. That word futility that Paul uses in the Greek is the same word in the Hebrew for vanity. It's all vanity. This whole world has been subjected to it, to futility. Solomon goes on in verse 16, I said in my heart, I've acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. 
And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. Madness and folly there, friends, what Solomon's talking about is the pursuit of worldly things. It's about foolish living in disobedience to God's will. He says, look, I tried God's wisdom and I left God's wisdom and I began to pursue the wisdom of the world and I discovered that living in the wisdom of the world is madness and folly. It's foolishness. It's like the prodigal son leaving his father's home for the things of this world and discovering all along that his father was truly right. Solomon says it was all madness and folly, a striving after the wind. Verse 18, he says, For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. So wisdom is not the answer. Knowledge and and being the wisest man in the world was not the answer for Solomon. It leads to vexation and much sorrow. Is this really what life is all about? I mean, is this seriously, this is God's word to us this morning? Is all really vanity? Sadly, friends, it is. If we think of the all of this world as all there really is. You know, it's interesting. This past week I had the unique experience of watching some of our young people set out on exciting new chapters in their lives. I saw my kids go off to school to junior high. I watched kids driving into the high school parking lot full of anticipation for the new school year. We saw college kids from our church head out of town, go off to college. I married a young couple from our church this past Sunday, starting out this new great chapter in their life, a glamorous wedding. But friends, if all of this is all there is, God's word says it's all vanity. So what? You know, you ask a lot of these young people going to school today. Why are you going to school? What's your goal? Why are you trying to get good grades? Why why are you studying so hard in college? And if you ask them, they'll say, well, you know, it's it's so so I can get good grades, so I can ultimately graduate, so I can get a good job, so I can make a lot of money, so I can buy a nice house, so so I can go on some great vacations over the years, and so ultimately I can retire when I'm 65, so I can die 15 years later in a nursing home. So what? It's all vanity. Striving after the wind meaningless. Very interesting, recently this summer I was reading a book called Presidents at War. It's a story of the presidents of the United States who were involved in different wars during their administrations. One of the presidents I read about was Lyndon Johnson and his experience leading America during the the Vietnam War. Having just read this book, I came across an interesting quote this past week from Doris Kearns Goodwin who was one of President Johnson's biographers. She wrote this about President Johnson. A month before he died, he spoke with me with immense sadness in his voice. He said he was watching the American people absorbed in this new president, 
forgetting all about him, forgetting even the great civil rights laws that he had passed. He was beginning to think his quest for immortality had been in vain, and perhaps he would have been better off focusing his time and attention on his wife and children, so then he could have had a different sort of immortality through his children and their children in turn. He could have depended on them in a way he couldn't depend on the American people. But it was too late. Four weeks later, he was dead. Despite all his money and power, he was completely alone when he died. His ultimate terror realized. Even one of the great men in our nation's history came to the end of his life. And for all of his pursuits, for all of his prestige and accomplishments, he died alone. All vanity, friends. Is this really all we have to look forward to? Friends, this morning I want to ask us the question. What if there's something more to this world? Something permanent? What if there is a purpose to the life we live under the sun? What if one day we will experience something truly new and genuinely satisfying? What if there's a wisdom available to us that leads not to vexation, but to jubilation? Well, what we're going to see this fall as we journey to joy through the book of Ecclesiastes is that Solomon, after pursuing all this world has to offer, would finally come to recognize that true joy is only found in a relationship with our Creator. You see, the same man who said all is vanity also wrote these famous words in Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You see, Solomon came to understand that it was truly in holding God in awe and reverence and in pursuing him that true joy in life is found. Solomon came to understand what his father David had once told him in Psalm 1611. The Lord makes known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Friends, it doesn't have to be all vanity. It doesn't have to be a striving after the wind. Life lived in relationship with our creator God is a life that leads to joy and promise and fulfillment, pleasures forevermore. The all of this world is not the all there truly ever is. There is something more found in walking with our creator God. And as Christians, we know that ultimately this is the reason why Jesus Christ came into the world. Jesus Christ came into the world to reveal God to us, to show us how we can know him and have a relationship with him. The Apostle John writes this in the book of John chapter 1. He says, in the beginning was the word, Jesus, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him, Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. Friends, why did Jesus come into this world? He came into this world to reveal to us true life. The light of men and women, the hope, the meaning, the purpose, true joy, friends. If you want to find the destination on the journey to joy, the destination is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And it's not just in a relationship with Jesus Christ, but it's in walking faithfully with Jesus Christ. One of Jesus' great parables is found in Matthew chapter 7. It's a story of a man who built his house on a rock. Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. See, friends, true joy is found in a relationship with Jesus. True joy in life and meaning and purpose is found in walking faithfully in pursuit of the ways of Jesus. And so when we hold fast to the truth of Jesus Christ given to us in Scripture, when we follow God's word and his guidance, it leads to life and life to the full. But when we stray, we find ourselves building our houses on the shifting sands. Earlier this morning, I showed you this picture of my grandfather's business, Krauss Lumber and Hardware. Today, it's a second-rate antique store. The Krauss name is gone and forgotten. But I'll tell you something, friends. My grandfather built his legacy upon the rock of Jesus Christ. Over the course of his life, his business was not his ultimate pursuit. He served his church faithfully, led numerous people to faith in Jesus Christ, served the, the poor in his community as best as he could, helped establish a Christian radio station in northern Wisconsin, left two sons and a daughter who are today walking with the Lord. Today he has three grandsons serving in church ministry, two as pastors, one as a church administrator. He has another grandson serving as a missionary pastor in Italy. He left a legacy of faith because he built his house on the rock. His business may be gone and forgotten, but his influence echoes through eternity. It doesn't have to be all vanity, friends. So I ask you this morning, are you building your house on the sand or on the solid rock of God's truth in a relationship with him? Are you putting your hope in business, in buildings, in bank accounts, it's all shifting sand, just chasing after the wind. As we're going to see this fall, true joy is only found when you build your life upon the solid rock of a relationship with our creator and his son, Jesus Christ. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opening chapter in the book of Ecclesiastes. And while it's a dire statement about life in this world it's so true it's so true that there is no joy there is no meaning there is no ultimate life a part of you lord and so father i just pray that as we study this book this fall that you would reveal to us the vanity of pursuing joy in the things of this world and the ultimate hope of finding our joy in a relationship with you jesus christ Jesus, we thank you that you came into this world to show us the way to life, that you died for our sins so that we could be made new, that all who put our hope in you can receive forgiveness and restoration and new life. 
And so, Lord, I just pray that this fall we would consider the power of the gospel, the good news, and that that might be the joy that we look to for hope, for meaning, for purpose. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your grace. We love you, Jesus. Amen.